evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Senor Fisher, and we are coming to you live for the 158th time on January 20th, 2017. Mr. Fisher, how have I found you? Lovely. The weather has returned to normal. Everything is kind of okay. It's not freaking raining cats and dogs all the time, so I'm feeling pretty good. Not uh, not nearly dying uh, going up or down a mountain today? Well, we did go up the mountain today, but it is much drier than it was the, the, the past two months. You, you didn't come down the mountain, though? or? Oh, yeah, we, we came down. It was still oh, dry okay. coming down as well. Good, because I was gonna. The next question was gonna be uh, how you got your your house up there, because I can see your house in the background. <laughs> yeah, that that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, feel sorry for my wife, Kip. Feel sorry for my wife. Uh, how are you, my friend? It's uh, it has been it's been so long. I'm pretty sure I have gray hair by now since we've recorded last. How you doing? Good. It has been like a month. I think December 16th, so it's been a month and four days. I know. I, and we tried recording two weeks ago. I thought we were going to record again last week, and we're finally here this week. So it hasn't been without effort. It's just uh, the holidays and internet connections and guests and uh, misinterpretation of schedule has just uh, has run us ragged. So yeah, I'm glad we finally got here. <clears throat> you and me both. I've been kind of jonesing to do a show lately. Yeah, me too. I uh, I found myself thinking that yesterday was Friday. So last <laughs> night I was on my way home from work and thinking that we were going to have pizza because we usually eat pizza on Friday night. It's our uh, uh, dietary splurge night. And I w- walked in the door and my wife has got chicken breasts and uh, tomatoes and green beans. And I'm like, what? And she's like, it's Thursday. Look at a calendar. <laughs> So <laughs> you said that as if she was just on the verge of calling you a jacko or something. <laughs> well, we have two children under six in our house, so whatever she says to me, I need to put it through the the uh, international translator into what an adult would say to me. Uh, and so, what she would say to me after that translation, I cannot repeat to you on this recording. Ah. <laughs> uh, but that uh, that does not matter at this point. Uh-oh, what's going on? I'm hearing myself. All right, sorry about that. The uh, the YouTube channel started talking back to me. Oh. But I'm here now, and uh, there's only one of me, so alas, all the listeners can be very pleased of that. Oh, I don't think so. I think they'll be happy to hear you. We're in great demand. Geez, if there was two of me, you'd never get a word out. <laughs> I could just sit here and click buttons and be fine. So you've had a couple house guests. You've had a couple holidays. Three holidays, really. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, Christmas Eve is big here rather than Christmas Day. And and um, Three Kings Day in January is really big. That's the major gift-giving time. But uh, Really? Yep. That's when we... Uh, I grew up, that was when we took our Christmas tree down. Epiphany, it comes down, and that's kind of 
well, isn't that the 12th day of Christmas? It is. And so I, I think that was just kind of always the, the completion of all of it as I grew up. And so we, uh, you know, we just kind of uphold that. My wife uh, thinks that that's kind of cool. So we always just kind of let it go a little bit longer. I like it. Yeah. Ours came down before then. I don't know when, but early this year. Well, I, uh, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, heck, you've had so many people at your place. I don't, I don't know when you do it. Otherwise, do you do you have people there again now? No, uh, we do have a guy that's down visiting, but he's not staying with us. We only are kind of crossing paths with him a few times. He's a he's a, re- a, a cigar retailer, a tobacconist in the Pacific Northwest, and he comes down about this time each year for nearly a month and creates some blends and does some work with a factory or two. Hmm. He uh, actually, I won't mention him by name without his permission since he has been exceedingly generous. He brought with him 50 of the water filters that we distribute here to uh, and pass them along, which is incredible. So He brought those? He brought them in a suitcase. Wow. Yeah. Wow, you I, you want to share what his shop is, or not without his consent? Yeah, I don't know. I, some people are peculiar, and I don't. I won't without his permission. <laughs> but it was incredibly generous. That was a big expense that he certainly wasn't bound to do. Uh, we we actually met this dude a year ago in a cigar shop here. Uh, my friend Nick, his birthday is this upcoming week. And we were at a shop for his birthday, just hanging out with our wives and smoking cigars. Two of us, they weren't. And the dude walked over and was like, hey, I heard English being spoken over here. Thought I would say hello. Wow. We chatted with the guy and, and hung out. And he left a, a chunk of cash in our trust to, to be used to do a number of projects at both the orphanage and, and the Palo Alto where we work. Uh, which we use throughout the year. And he sent me a message several months ago and said, Hey, I want to bring down a bunch of filters. And turns out he, he brought 50 of the jokers. So that, that is clean drinking water for 350 to 400 people for the next 10 years. As we get these things distributed. Wow. Wow. God bless that guy, man. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was a. It, it, we've not encountered a lot of folks like him that pass through here. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that is a good man. That's who that is. Wow, that's spectacular. He's a, that's got, that's got to brighten the season on top of any of those holidays. Holy cow! Yeah, and when I say we haven't encountered many like him, I mean that in many ways because the dude's nearly seven feet tall. I mean, I hit him below his shoulder, and I'm just over six feet tall. Holy cow! I uh, I just read a CNN breaking news update. Uh, not the most important breaking news story, but uh, it was about how President Trump just danced with his wife at the inaugural ball. And uh, you said something about he's a large man at nearly seven feet and you're uh, over six feet and looking at his shoulder. And in my head, I combined the two. And so the two of you were dancing. 
<laughs> so it was it was a very weird combination of what was going on there. I apologize for I, my lack of something so. to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Well, at the sake of uh, extending that nightmare any longer, what do you say I introduce the cigar that we're smoking tonight and uh, talk a little bit about it? And that sounds fantastic. And I'm going to hold mine up to the camera just for a second because Zidman asked what we, what size they were. And we were talking about this before we recorded. Mine is, I don't have my gauge with me, but I imagine it's something close to a Corona, a little over five inches maybe in 43, 44 ring. Um, yours, I believe, is a Toro, is what you were telling me, mm-hmm. or something similar. Nope, I definitely am. Mine, uh, mine is coming in right at uh, standard Toro. Uh, my measurements are 52 by 6 inches, but uh, if you go to the excuse me, the source of these cigars, uh, they say they are 6 by 50 for a traditional uh, Toro. So I'll get to just a little bit about this here, but um, looks like your size, your um, Corona, is coming in at 46 by 5.5. So... Much closer to a Corona Gorda. Just an eighth of an inch shorter than I would be crazy surprised if this thing's 46. Because an 858 is a 47, and this is nowhere close to that. So I have on Georgetown Tobacco's website, granted this may just be what... uh, Oh, you know, we haven't said what the cigar is, have we? (laughs) No, we haven't. (laughs) We're professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our sponsors are going to be pissed for this. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are smoking <laughs> the Caucus. It is uh, a lovely cigar available only at Georgetown Tobacco. Um, it is their house blend cigar, and it absolutely, uh, if this experience mirrors all the others that I've had with this cigar, it is absolutely the reason why you want to walk into a new shop and try to smoke their house blend because you run into absolute gems like this that you can't get anywhere else that represent the owner of that shop that are truly the lifeblood, blood, sweat, and tears, everything that is from that shop rolled up into the cigar, no pun intended. It is a, it is a very interesting cigar. Um, now, on the website, uh, the five available sizes of the Caucus Cigar are the Torpedo, the Toro, which I am smoking, the Robusto, the Corona, and the Churchill. So the Robusto is a completely standard 5x50. The Torpedo at a 52 by 5 and 3 quarters, so actually a, a bellicoso size. Uh, the Toro is, as I said, the 6x50 or 6x52. Corona at just shorter than a Corona Gorda, five and a half by 46. And the Churchill comes in at seven by 48, kind of the traditional non-Cuban Churchill size. So either they have another size that uh, they are sold out of at the moment, or you are smoking a 46. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to open up the old cigar ring app on my phone. See what this measures at. Well, while Kip is getting that measurement, I'll read the couple paragraphs here uh, that we've got of information from Georgetown Tobacco's website. 
So the caucus cigar was blended in 2009 uh, when David Birkenbaugh was visiting Rocky Patel's factory in Don Leon, Honduras. The blend was designed to complement the flavor of the Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper leaf, which is David's favorite. The result is a rich and satisfying smoke that avoids the extremes of strength and taste, which have become common in today's cigar market. The medium body and subtle flavor make the caucus accessible. Pardon me, to a wide variety of cigar enthusiasts who have made this the most popular brand in the store. So that uh, that is the little write-up here from Caucus's <coughs> website. Uh, did you manage to pull up what your size is of that bad boy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not disagreeing about their website, but the little ring here, uh, 43 is showing um, edges of the cigar. I'm thinking it's more close to 42. That'd be a huge amount of shrinkage. I, I don't know. Maybe they've changed that size or something in the past because mine seemed to have some time on it. I know we've had them in our own humidors for a couple of years or more now, and my cellophane was very dark when I took it off. This may be some past size. I don't know. Well, if I recall, John, uh, who is Cigar Man for Life, I believe it's his handle. Uh mm-hmm on our forum as well as other spots um, sent us a number of these cigars to try as a very, very generous gift. Uh, I believe it was last summer. So about a year and a half ago. Um, But you know, it would have had to have been earlier than that because I would have sent you the package prior to IPCPR. Right. And last time I went to IPCPR before this year was 2013. No way. Yeah, I had not been. I went 2013 and then didn't go again until 2016. Well, that can't be right. I don't think that these are from three years ago. Well, I moved out of the country a year and a half ago, so it had to be before then. Oh, maybe that's what it was. The last package I sent you before then. Okay. So approaching two years over a year and a half. So somewhere in that range, I I guess, would be a, a favorable... Uh, estimate to the age of these smokes. Um, Michael Stewart says you gave him one three summers ago. Well, maybe it was three years ago. Holy cow. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Maybe these cigars have got three plus years on them. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, uh uh-oh. Kip, I have lost your audio again. I don't know if you can uh, hear that or not. Nope. Sounds like we've still lost Kip. While he uh, tries to recover that, uh, I will share just a touch more about this. So these are manufactured by Rocky Patel. Um, Now, a very interesting thing to me is that I was in Dunley, Honduras in 2008-2009. I think I was in Dunley in 2007 and 2008, actually. So maybe there was a transition made afterwards. But um, Rocky Patel did not own a factory in Don Lee in 2008 when I was there last, I believe. He was having his cigars made at um, either the CAO factory or the Placencia factory at that point. So maybe this was a cigar that he had commissioned right when Rocky had gotten his, uh, his new factory down there. That's entirely possible. Um, or it was made at, an, at the factory that Rocky didn't own that Rocky was just using. I'm not exactly sure how that went down, but 
either way, these are currently manufactured by Rocky. Um, our, my current favorite uh, cigar that he makes and uh, or that he puts his name associated with. And I think they are right up there with the best things he has ever produced. And for me, that is the Rocky 15th. Um, this is right on par with that in terms of quality and enjoyment that I get out of it, though certainly a different taste. So, Kip, have you come back to me? No, I'm not hearing him. Hmm. I don't know if you guys are able to hear me or able to hear Kip, but uh, I think maybe what we'll do is perhaps we'll take a little bit of a break for our recorded audience. And if you're live, you can uh, sit here while we try to sort this out. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from our minor break here. Thank you for uh, sticking with us as we sorted out some minor technical difficulties. It's amazing that we've had as few as uh, as we have had over the years, considering we're 1,800 miles away and uh, one of our one of our power is provided by a third world country's infrastructure. So we have been, we have been pretty lucky all in all. Hey, we've improved. Uh, There's now enough of a grid in place to supply power to two thirds of the country at any given time. (laughs) That is a real thing. That's a real number. Wow. I, uh, I wonder if the presidential palace ever uh, runs out of power. I don't know. We we the the house we're in now is very close to the the main important modern private hospital here in Santiago, and so it almost always has power. We very rarely lose power here. Oh, that's awesome! That's yeah, it's a, a good gig. See, well, I think we had uh, just kind of busted through the the background info on the caucus. Um, do you have any? Facts or facts, excuse me, flavors or uh, I, I don't know, uh, comments you want to share about this thing as you've lit it up? Yeah, I'm a little bit, uh, <laughs> I am prejudiced in many different ways with this cigar. One in the sense that I tend not to appreciate Rocky Patel's offerings. But on the other end of that, this is my very favorite, even more than the 15th anniversary that you mentioned. I, I, this cigar stands alone to me in his portfolio. I, I love it. And that, that's the reason I'm smoking this one tonight is because when the others were sent, I smoked one of them and adored it and just quickly smoked up all of them but one to save for the show. Holy cow. So I... Uh, I, I'll just be honest and say I know going into this cigar that I really like it and, or have all the others, and he sent several at the time. I think they're fantastic. I uh, I agree. Now, having a finite supply of these things, I have not smoked them near as often as I would have liked, but um, quite frankly, it's really um, different from what I remember it being. I remember this being um, cocoa and, you know, a little bit of like the, the crisp, how do I want to put this? Um, you know how there's a little bit of that dry crispness that comes with uh, cigars that have the flavor of cocoa in them? I, I do, and that's exactly how I would describe it. Well, I, I 
don't get that in the cocoa sense right now. This has evolved um, to where it's it's different. It's not as as um, I would say as rich of a flavor anymore. It's it's almost become more of like a uh, I want to say aperitif. Like it has a lot of lemon and citrus. And there is maybe some chocolate there, but it's not cocoa. It's now chocolatey. Um, the crispness that was before kind of coupled with the cocoa is just, it's separate from that chocolate flavor. It's now like lemon and chocolate or raspberry and chocolate. It's its kind of a tart, fruity flavor to go with that. It's, it's interesting. I, I like it. I think it's very good. I don't think that this is uh, inconsistency in the blend. Um, quite frankly, I think that it's just now that we know <laughs> they're three years uh, old, three and a half years old. It's just the age of the cigar, and it has uh, it has done well by itself. I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't think I could just yet reach for any hard flavors I want or defined flavors that I want to lay out there, but. The dryness is definitely there. I mean, I've, and and more felt than it doesn't taste dry. I just feel feel it in the back of my throat. It's kind of dry. I'm, I keep thinking I could use a glass of water right now. Hmm. Matter of fact, that's the last time I muted was not for the stray motorcycle coming through. It was because I had to clear my throat. Huh. Well, I I absolutely am am dry on my hard palate. Um. And I do typically drink with a cigar, and I've got a little bit of remnant of rum in my water here uh, from a rum and soda I had as we started. But I think I'm just going to go water from here on out. This is this is a cigar that really needs it. I have some 65-degree water here, or water, coffee here that's been sitting out here on the balcony for about the past six hours. I may have to reach for that if times get desperate. <laughs> Yum. Well, I think the uh, the last item to kind of mention about these uh, these caucuses as we um, as we move on is the price, and they're really not too. Um, I mean, they're really not too out of the realm of uh, where I'd like them to be. This Toro, the second largest size of the availability here, is like seven bucks a cigar. Um, that's really not horrible. So you get into, oh no, it's less than seven. Oh no, excuse me. It is $7 a cigar. This is, um, almost the most expensive. The torpedoes are just about a quarter more a stick. The Churchill are one thirty-five for a box of 20. So a little bit less than seven bucks. So really not too terribly expensive. You can get the, the Corona's for five fifty a cigar. Um, and again, that's the Corona Gorda for five fifty. That That's a pretty good deal. It's is. This is a worthwhile stick, especially if you're buying out of state and not paying their sales tax. It's uh, it's very good. Yeah. Well, a good thing they're not sold in Chicago. Huh? A good thing they're not sold in Chicago, yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, a good cigar, a very, very different cigar than I remember. And I am absolutely looking forward to seeing how this progresses into the second and final third. So. Folks, if you want to know how it goes to uh, 
best I know, it's been a few years since anybody on social media or cigar media, cigar blogs has reviewed this thing. Stick around. We'll, uh, we'll get through it. We got a couple different Vitolas to share thoughts with, and uh, we hope that you can maybe seek out Georgetown tobacco. And if what we're saying sounds good, maybe give them a try for yourself. So, and of course, as always, there is no, no financial incentives for us to have an opinion one way or another here. This is a cigar given to us by a friend and uh, shared for all of you, so you might enjoy it as well. So stick around. It's uh, sure to be another fun night of cigars and rum, although maybe not so much rum tonight. We'll see. Mm, maybe room temperature coffee. <laughs> mm, now you're living. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't like cold coffee when it's intended to be that way, let alone when it's just from sitting out. <clears throat> well, want to hit a little bit of news? Yeah, lots to talk about. That's what happens there when you go a month. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, let's just jump right in. We um, got a, a few updates, actually a number of them tonight. But, uh, first thing we got on the list here is there's been a couple of uh, – Pretty notable uh, large-scale acquisitions in the tobacco industry, the tobacco world, in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, several that mostly involve cigarette tobacco and whatnot. But the the one that stood out to me that uh, folks that would probably be listening to this show might be a little more interested in was that um, Altria, which is the parent of Philip Morris, uh, has bought up uh, Nat Sherman which is still, mm, I don't know, I guess predominantly, at least majorly, a uh, uh, cigarette company. That's what they're known for in the cigar world, in the cigarette and tobacco world, is their cigarettes. But they also uh, have some long-established uh, premium cigar brands, the Nat Sherman brands, the, you know, the Timeless and the whatnot. And, and um, like I said, Altria has, has bought the company out. And uh, the future for what's going to happen with these cigar brands, we don't know. Uh, but, you know, there, there's no existing thing that says Altria is going to even keep them, uh, keep them active, I suppose. Um, and if you don't know that they're, they have several lines. Some of them are made here, in fact, by the Quesada family. And I believe in Nicaragua, uh, the Placencias make some of their other lines. But uh, we don't know what this means long term for Nat Sherman, so if you're a fan, you may want to invest in a few extra if, if it's that important to you. You know, you you uh, mentioned the manufacturers, and I that was my biggest takeaway from this. I know that um, if you follow Michael Herklot, if you are at all um, kind of tuned into Quesada especially, um, my major thought on this is what's the impact on them going to be? I know that that they're a manufacturer of of uh, some of Nat Sherman's most popular cigars. So, with them out of the picture, it's just you know I'm sure that it's not going to be a big hit to Quesada because they make a lot of cigars. But um, it's a change, you know. I, I'd be I'd be curious to find out what their future is going to hold in terms of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how. It's a significant 
portion of the business, whether, I mean, I don't believe it's the major portion of Quesada or plus certainly not Placencia's business, but nope. Well, but it is significant. It's, it's not jump change. They make a lot of cigars for Nat Sherman. Oh yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think speculation has been that with the FDA changes and all, we're going to see this more and more. And, and it seems to, to be headed that way. You know, it's been a few brands closing up already and selling off to bigger companies. And, and I, I guess we're yet to find out exactly how it's going to play out, but it's not a surprise to see this happening already. No, what, even though it's not a surprise, it is unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I don't want this to occur. I, not the world's biggest Nat Sherman fan. Um, I've had some Nat Sherman's. They're fine. They're not, uh, spectacular i think we had a nat sherman as an unbanded i don't recall what our i believe you're right uh, the 1930 or something like that i don't remember now timeless something i don't know it's been a long time i don't remember what our uh, what our opinions were on that but perhaps that's enough of an opinion that we need to hold on to we don't remember how good it was maybe maybe we're okay um now that being said uh, the townhouse is a, an icon. It's one of those things you go to New York City, you want to go to the Nat Sherman townhouse. That's a ridiculously cool thing. Um, there has been no doubt about it. A lot of um, uh, waves made from Michael Herklotz becoming part of the Nat Sherman family. No doubt uh, about that. It was the Nat Sherman timeless number two. Back all the way back in episode one hundred and one, so it's been well, been two years, two years ago, yeah. Well, it's uh, uh, it's unfortunate to see this happen. Nat Sherman has been a name that's been around for generations, and I'll be interested to see how much they can maintain that integrity. Is this a Drew Estate Swisher situation, or is this a CAO General situation? I don't know. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. I know what is often the case. It may not be the the desired outcome for folks that are diehard fans of the brand, but no, we'll no, definitely not. You know, I, I although I got to say I I don't know too many people who are diehard Nat Sherman fans. That's true. I mean, they're they're out there. I don't, you know, I don't know. I guess maybe I don't run in those circles, but and probably a big part of that is the shops I frequented when I was in Florida. Nat Sherman never had a large presence. I mean, they they were there, they were sold, and they were on the shelf, but they weren't pushed, they weren't showcased. There, there never yeah. were Nat Sherman events, to my recollection. They just weren't promoted in the specific shops I've tended to hang out in. So I, I don't have a great deal of exposure to them. No, you are absolutely right. It's, uh, it's not something I ever really saw when I'm going to a shop around here. It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, we say that though, and that can't, you know, the, the four shops, five shops that we think of collectively, uh, as what our home shops were, were for you and are for me. Um, 
that represents the smallest uh, percentage of a, a slice of what the industry is that it, it'd be entirely possible that there's a huge presence if you get out <laughs> east. Who knows? You know? So I'm sitting here realizing how ludicrous I'm being at the moment. Of the two shops that I ever frequent in Santiago, both do have a, a good offering in that Sherman products. And one is <laughs> owned by the Quesada family and has pretty much everything they make from that Sherman. But I still, I have nothing against them. I just, I end up buying something else when I'm there. I don't, I don't know that I've bought any Nat Sherman's from them. You know, I, that there's a, there's a good interview there. I think, um, if you had Mike Herklotz and had had him <laughs> perhaps with uh, two drinks in him, let's put it that way. So he's loosened up just to the point where he's willing to have an honest conversation that you don't hear much of, but he certainly has not lost his faculties. That would be a great conversation to have to know. All right, Mike, you worked with Davidoff. You worked with Davidoff in a very successful position, and you worked your way up to that. How did you all of a sudden make your way to Nat Sherman and be able to have the control over blending and tobacco that you have when you're not from that side of the industry? You're from the retail side. You're from the 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 make an unbelievable impression and no cigars, not necessarily no blends or no tobacco. That would be a great conversation to have because he's got unbelievable control over their premium cigar blends now. Um, I wonder, I wonder how that came to be, you and why. Me. I don't know the yeah. answer. Hmm. You know, he was he was uh, a part of Davidoff at some of. Oh, gosh, probably the original Winston Churchill release. He was, I'm sure, a part of Davidoff at that point. And um, what would some others have been? Oh, I don't know. I don't think he was around uh, with the Maduro or the Millennium. I don't think he was with Davidoff then. Um, I'm sure there were a couple other big releases. Did they consult with him? Did he have a hand in that? I can't imagine that that Hanky Kellner gave, uh, gave that to him. No, nor Eladio. Uh, very true. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there's uh, a conversation after we become best friends with Michael Herklotz in the next year or so. We can get him on the show, <laughs> and I'll give him some rum. We can share headphones like I did with Nate McIntyre. <laughs> that, that was glorious. Yeah. I, uh, I spent some time last weekend with, uh, our good friend, friend of the show, Ian at 406 Cigars. Uh, we went out and shared a cigar. It was a great time. It's unbelievable guy. Um, I, I told him that uh, if he can find an internet connection, I would love if he would have joined us. This was when I was thinking we were recording last week. Um, but I told him there's no way he could come to my house because I am not sitting next to him sharing a pair of headphones again. <laughs> it it kind of makes a heart when you each have one in your ears. Yeah, I I don't think we need to do that. <laughs> oh well. well, well, this is uh, it's an interesting story and one that that like all of the other acquisitions will be interested will be interesting to follow up on too. Yeah, and see uh, how this plays out with the new 
legislation and what's going to happen there as well. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. What else we got here? Uh, we got a late-breaking story that I actually just caught not long before uh, the show tonight. And scrolling down through the old book of face and uh, saw that actually Halfwheel has re- is reporting tonight that Dunhill is exiting the premium cigar and pipe tobacco markets. Um, yeah. British American Tobacco, I guess, is the parent company. Um, and uh, this is not really big news. I mean, it's not like they're taking over the planet in the cigar industry. That They are fairly popular in pipe tobacco, but the pipe tobacco market as a whole is so tiny, it still can't be a, a massive moneymaker for a company the size of BAT. Um, and the, the pipe tobacco blends have gone through numerous blend blending houses over the past 15 to 20 years anyway. But in general, I think makes the Dunhill cigars these days. Um, Sounds right. Yep. Yeah. So they, uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, they're going to get out of that business altogether. There won't be, uh, well, you know what? Let me stop short there. They have not declared the brand is dead. They're just, they are exiting the business. I don't, I don't know what they have planned for, uh, the brands themselves, maybe they, you know, market that through some other company or, or sell the rights or something. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I do know uh, they themselves are exiting the business and they'll still have, I believe they, they do. Uh, I don't believe, I know they do still make cigarettes because uh, those are very popular here. <laughs> All the grocery stores have Dunhill cigarettes. Um mm. But uh, premium cigars, the signed range and all those things you're accustomed to seeing on tobacconist shelves are going to be disappearing over the next year, year and a half or so, and uh, presumably won't be available unless they do sell those rights or lease those rights in some kind of way. Hmm. So it's kind of a, a, a repeat time for me. The Dunhill pipe tobacco got topsy-turvy 2003 or 2004, they basically went off the market and two, three years, maybe a little longer, they eventually came back. But during that time, a number of people made uh, similar or cloned blends uh, for some of their more popular lines. But it's pipe smokers are peculiar anyway. They made a tobacco. They were using Murray's. They switched Murray's as a blending house uh, in in, the I think they're in the UK at this point. They've, they've probably been sold out and they moved it to Scandinavia and it doesn't matter if a pipe tobacco blend is created by the same people. It's manufactured by the same people. They use the same components of tobaccos grown on the same farms in the same countries and use the same equipment to chop it. Pipe smokers will swear it's different. And so I'm <laughs> sure this will be another thing. <laughs> and, People will have to iron out how you tell the difference between this this tin and that tin, and who made it, so they know what they're buying when they're buying age stock or whatever. But it yeah, it cracks me up how how people swear something's different when it, from all appearances, should be identical. And and there's maybe something to it at times, but I think a lot of times we just glorify the past and and try to look for a way to not appreciate the present. Yeah, no, I genuinely think that that's the case. Uh, I, 
I know I have been, uh, <clears throat> I have fallen prey to doing that uh, time or two. I'm sure of it. Not exactly something I'm proud of, but you know, when it comes to cigars, when uh, a cigar is re-released or comes out in a new size, I, I have been the one to say, no, it's not like it was. And uh, boy, oh boy, that that's a that's a slippery slope because there are so many variables there. Yeah, the only time I, I have done it with pipe tobacco, but I've always been more restrained than the average pipe guy. But the only time I just uh, Bert, uh, I don't remember his last name. Bert Bert was an older guy. He was the Oliva rep for Florida for many, many, many years. Okay, and. When the Oliva O changed from that cloth, almost velvet feeling band to a paper band, yes. that cigar was so different to me. And I went from loving it to just not even wanting to be in the same room with it. And he <laughs> swore that it was the exact same cigar. But I, to this day, I maintain that thing changed radically overnight. But I, I was, I took a strong stance on that cigar like I had not done before. Yeah, man, I uh, I remember those cloth bands, the red and the blue. Man, mm-hmm. I had a red one a couple years back with a cloth band, and it was stellar. I mean, it was a good cigar, and I don't I don't ever remember those being that good after the switch. I'm right there with you. I don't either, and I'm generally a pretty big fan of Oliva. I like. A lot of their lines. I like the V, okay. The V Maduro, I adore until they started making them 6x60 every year. Forget that. Um, I'm just not a fan of that size, but I love the blend. I like the Melanio. I like the Melanio Maduro. But I think in the early 2000s, their regular old off-the-shelf lines, were they really hit their stride at that time. And and I don't tend to gravitate toward them day-to-day in the same way that I did 12, 14 years ago. No, I uh, I hear you loud and clear. They're, I don't know what it was. I wonder why they got rid of the cloth, if it was just as simple as the band was too expensive or if it was something else. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. I, don't know I think either. they changed the name of it, too, what they said that O stood for. I don't recall now. It either changed from or went to Ovation, and it had had a different... Uh, different uh, moniker, a different name of what the O stood for before. Uh, I don't remember. It's been a long time. I don't remember that either. Hmm. I mean, that's what it was. It was Ovation, and then they just changed it and called it the Siri O or something. I, I don't know. That's been too long ago. Yeah, it's... Uh, i had a brain tumor since then. Yeah, it's one of those things that's pre-brain tumor. <laughs> that's <laughs> how I mark time. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm right there with you. I know. Uh, well, on uh, on that bit of bad news, Kip, it's that time of year again. I don't know if you know this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's time for more bad news. Yeah, and this is our now regular annual, sometimes semi-annual, but this time of year, every year, uh, we see price increases from a lot of cigar makers. Um, and presumably this time around, it may be a little more drastic or a little more widespread than, than might be typical. Um, and the, the price increases, I don't really know if it's going to show up 
too blatantly right now, but this time next year, I imagine it's going to be pretty, pretty significant as people start to see and realize and understand and know what it's, what's going to be involved and what the costs are for the, the FDA, FDA compliance. Um, I think so far all I've seen, all I've made a note here is Perdomo, AJ Fernandez and JC Newman. They've all announced some price increases that are coming in the next month or so. And, uh, but I would imagine there's going to be quite a number more and the, the, the increases so far are not huge. I've seen everything from two to 3% up to about 10% on some of them. And, uh, it seems to be pretty variable, which leads me to think they're actually probably doing a good job of evaluating the lines and where, where they are on them and not just going across the board and okay, everything's going to have to come up 10% or whatever. So seems seems realistic hmm. well I, I yeah I, I guess putting it it seems realistic is probably the best way we can leave it <laughs> it seems I, realistic yeah I don't need to add to that yeah well then jumping right along to a story from uh, Terry Johnson TL Johnson cigars who uh, Last week, or a little over a week ago, Mike Stewart, um, many of you heard us mention earlier, Michael had come down and visited me, which was cool. Uh, once we fought past the rain and goofed up plans, and we did manage to go over, and um, Carmen, the lady that, that runs Terry's factory for him while he's not in the country, um, I talked to her a couple of times, and they were actually not back up and running but she and Terry called in a couple of rollers and, and uh, some folks to work in the, the warehouse pulling leaves and whatnot just so we could come over and see the operation, which was really cool. Um, so we got to spend a morning over there. But one of the things that came out about that time was Terry actually was merging with uh, Black Patch Cigars out of Kentucky. And I only remember one other time talking about this company and it's been a long time ago and I had not smoked their cigars, but they actually grow cigar tobacco in Kentucky and they have a, a varietal they call Ken Bono. Um, and they used it, I believe just for themselves. They showcase it in some of their cigar blends and uh, going forward post merger, uh, tobacco Lera TL Johnson will be producing the black patch cigars now. And I'm going to presume that means they're actually going to take that tobacco grown in Kentucky and export it to the Dominican Republic to be rolled and exported back to the U.S. <laughs> um, <laughs> and which I guess is no different than Connecticut shade out of Connecticut that's put on cigars here either. So I don't suppose it should be weird. It just strikes me as strange to have tobacco doing that much traveling. Um, well, there's lots of tobacco that does that much traveling, though. I mean, that's true. You mentioned Connecticut, and heck, we get tobacco from Indonesia and Cameroon, and you know, all well, sorts of places that the um, <clears throat> Florida sungrown that that um, uh, the folks over at Corona are growing there in Claremont, Florida, and exporting to Nicaragua to be rolled in the FSG cigars and brought back to Florida to be sold. Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. <clears throat> Jumping right along because we have one story that may be just a little bit longer than normal. Um, since our last show, 
Matt Booth has announced he's going to retire from the cigar industry. Um, this was actually first reported through Cigar Aficionado with some information, interview, and a statement he'd issued. Um, and Matt actually owns his brands. He owns the Room 101 brands. And so with him retiring, those brands also come out of play, come out of the mix, at least right now. Uh, he left it open-ended if he's going to uh, have allow any other usage of them or lease or sell those rights as well. Um, but he, uh, he says he's just going to kind of pull back from that and focus his attention on uh, what actually is a very lucrative jewelry business that, that he owns. I think most people know that. Um, and he just announced this first week of the year because his his contract with Edinger Davidoff expired January the 1st and it not was not renewed. Um, he chose not to. And I don't believe he would have had any pre-February 2007 blends anyway, so he was looking at having to uh, come into compliance with everything under his name. So that probably had something to do with it. But... but uh, yeah. So it, goodbye to Room 101, at least for the time being. Um, although he has not announced his plans, I don't don't imagine anytime soon you'll be seeing those on the market once the the existing stock is going to be uh, sold, just like normal. But I don't believe there will be any more production. I, I'm curious if he would ever consider selling those. I, I don't know. He... Um, I read the the letter he had written, and it was pretty open ended. Uh, it, it didn't really make a declaration either way, uh, outside of just saying that he owns those brands, and right now he's taking them with him, so they'll be coming out of production. But he left it open that maybe someday they could return, either with him or through some other third party. I, I don't know. Hmm. It would make a lot of sense for those to be. Uh to go elsewhere. I know that he's got a pretty good following. He does. And uh, we have very different opinions about one of his cigars in particular, the Namakubi. (laughs) (laughs) The greatest cigar he ever created that you can't stand. Uh, And I can't stand legitimately. Thank you. That's true. You, you proved yourself on that one. And those, those who don't remember, I tried to fool Craig with some unbanded uh, samples of that Namakubi Tiburon because um, I thought he was just blowing smoke, so to speak, <laughs> and sent him, and he did not like him still. So he validated his, his opinion, at least insofar as that matters. <laughs> oh, those cigars suck, Kip. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> uh, I think it's your weather. They just don't smoke good in Chicago. You know, where was I? I was somewhere. I was somewhere with really low. Um, oh, oh, I remember where this is going. Okay, I'll talk about this in the "What Else You've Been Smoking" segment later on. I was down at sea level, uh, really low elevation, and it relates to something that I'll talk about there. So, but I won't get into it now. Cool. Okay, well, jumping right along to the next short story is is mainly an announcement for all the retailers out there. If you're not paying attention to the various and sundry emails coming from IPCPR these days, the uh, the trade show was 
I don't know what better way to say it. It was somewhat booted from the venue it's been at for quite some number of years now at the Sands and Venetian complex with the uh, the Sands Convention Center or the Venetian and Palazzo, I guess, or the hotels connected to it. Um, Lots of speculation, but the belief is that there was simply a bigger group that wanted the venue on the, the dates IPCR was scheduled for, and the, the facility has the right to cancel it for any or no reason, and they opted to, to do just that. So IPCPR actually reacted quicker than they have to most anything and have rescheduled for July the 10th to 14th at the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is kind of off the strip, but... Uh, they seem pretty happy with it. And the, the main thing that it changes aside from being at a really nice place that it was before is that this pulls apart the coupling between the hotel arrangements and the convention site because the Las Vegas, Las Vegas convention center doesn't have hotel facilities on site. So I believe they're trying to secure blocks of rooms uh, elsewhere. But uh, uh, I imagine those who, would be interested in this bit of news probably are on the mailing list for IPCPR and they're, they're doing a good job of communicating what's going on actually responded very quickly to this. Hmm. So it's, it will it's, be elsewhere. It's interesting to me that that happened. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's obviously naive, but I thought that perhaps there was a little bit of a, uh, a Las Vegas, pardon me, um, a Las Vegas, um, oh, what do I want to say here? Sinful encouragement, you know? I, now, who knows? Maybe the convention that we're speculating they lost out to was the adult entertainment convention, something else that has a sinful connotation to it. But I, it just always seemed as if there was... Uh, I don't know, like a, a kinship. Hey, the rest of the world is kind of shatting on us, but in Vegas, they still encourage us to come around. And I know it's naive to think that it doesn't all come down to money, but that was that was my thought. Maybe it maybe it didn't come down to money, but it probably does. I don't know. I mean, there. Yeah, it doesn't do much good to even speculate. It, <laughs> It's one of those rare times when I would just say it is what it is. It's moving, so I wasn't going this upcoming year anyway, so it doesn't really impact me at all. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Now to the final and probably biggest story for me anyway, the one that interested me the most. Um, Since our last show, which could have been any time in the past three or four weeks at this point, uh, the FDA extended the deadline that they were going to require the manufacturers to submit their ingredient lists for cigars. Initially, that was going to be February 15th and just just under a month, but now that's pushed back to August the 8th. Um, and actually, I believe for smaller manufacturers, I think they even have an additional few months. But uh, doesn't seem like a huge bit of news, but then I, I, I looked at it, looked over the requirements and and I guess really rather than just the, the change of the deadlines, not that big of news, but I started looking at these requirements and maybe they were a little more involved than I initially understood. And 
I'm wondering how this is even going to happen or be accomplished legitimately. You know, maybe it can be done in ways that go through, but legitimately to do the things that are required looks um, looks a little more in depth than I thought. So the 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 specs state that any premium cigar made with no other no chemicals, no nothing added besides tobacco and potable water, specifically potable water. Um, there are four pieces of information that have to be submitted for each different cigar. Uh, the tobacco type, the, the variety or varietal, uh, the curing method, and any recombinant DNA technology used in creating the varietal. And so it doesn't seem too awful complicated, but this is the least complicated of the, the things, of the, 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 uh, the pathway for getting a cigar under this uh, deadline. And I had a couple questions, even for these very simple, straightforward four things required. Um, the first thing that popped up was the type of tobacco. And the reason that popped up is because they want it listed by weight. And you go to a cigar factory, they don't measure out a gram and a half of tobacco. They may use half a leaf and that leaf may be quite different from one to the next. I mean, it's reasonably close, but I, I wondered how tight their tolerance is going to be on the requirement of that. Because just because I've dealt with government agencies before and they tend to be ludicrous in their uh, requirements. Uh, I think I've even mentioned before uh, an arsenic cleanup site that I've worked with in the past where the standard was changed from a, an allowable 50 parts per million uh, uh, arsenic in the groundwater. Well, the standard was changed to 10 midstream of this project, which would be fine, except when the standard changed, there were no labs that could test to that that kind of tolerance. Nobody could tell us if it's under 10 parts per million because they didn't have uh, uh, lab protocols that would that could test that tightly. And so we come back and, and and the EPA was like, well, it's not really our problem. This is what the standard is. You need to show us you're under it. And we're like, it's a freaking lab that can tell us if we're under it. And yeah, it worked out, but it took about two years before the technology caught up with the standard. And, and so I'm wondering how, how tight are they going to say, you need to tell us within a tenth of a gram how much Ligero is in this 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 cigar. You know, how is that even doable uh, based on the people I've encountered in the cigar industry, especially when you're talking third parties? But I'll get to that in a minute. You know, so if you got I, instead of breaking or uh, I guess moving away from that, I, I have a question for you. Okay. And it's, not going to go anywhere, obviously, because we don't have an ear at the FDA, and <laughs> uh, we're certainly not um, developing members of the cigar industry. But why isn't this? Um, why aren't samples filed and then they're not taken as a finished product? They're taken as components. Therefore, you say. Oh, okay, well, here's this cigar. These are the ingredients, potable water, the minor additive for sheen and such that you'll talk about later, uh, the tobacco itself. And and maybe you have... Um, the uh, adhesive for the cap. Yeah, what the heck is that called? Uh, vegetable glue, goma, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, pectin. 
That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, and you have the, the pectin glue. You have those four things. All right. So instead of viewing a cigar as one item, view it as components. All right. The pectin uh, in 500 cigars that we've tested is no more than two milligrams and a safe level would be 100 milligrams per cigar, and we know we're never going to have that. So your limit is that component can't be over this weight. And, okay, so for this blend, it has Corojo leaf, and it has Criollo leaf, and it has Habano leaf. With those leaves, um, you are allowed to have up to, whatever, four grams of each leaf or six grams of each leaf. And it, it just becomes a threshold, so that way, if you have someone who does test this, it's not looking at, no, you need, um, I, I don't know, uh, 400 milligrams of that component. It's not an exact, it's a threshold. That, to me, seems to make the most sense, because you're going to have slight variation since they are handmade, they're not a machine-made product. And they're cut. They're individually cut by the roller. What if exactly. what if a vein is heavier? What if what if one leaf has uh, higher components because it hasn't, unfortunately, been um, processed as far as it should have? So it's slightly heavier with liquid. You know, there are there are all of these variables that go in. Why don't you just make it thresholds and it all gets simpler? It's a good, it's a valid question, but I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the, that's not how they're asking for the information, and maybe it evolves into something like that when they start to realize you have torcedores rolling these cigars that are just cutting a leaf the way they've been doing it forever, but each one may be 30% different in, in size from one to the next. Or Jose remoistens the leaf differently than... Jorge, <laughs> there's more water in the leaf today than there was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just a lot of variables, and uh, maybe it changes into something a little more manageable. I, I would hope that anyway. I don't know. It, uh, mm-hmm. As I said, we're not bending anyone's ear here. It just, to me, that sounds as if that's so much more the logical way to move forward. So, Yeah. Exactly. And the uh, what else have I got here? Oh, the I wondered aloud to myself in my mind, so not aloud at all. Um, <laughs> how many manufacturers genuinely, truly know how the tobacco they're using has been genetically engineered? I, I, I have encountered a good number of people in the cigar world that absolutely don't know that they go and they buy tobacco yeah. and know it, it came from this country. Maybe it came from this region or even, even if they know that maybe it came from this farm, but that's kind of it. They don't really know at an agronomist's level what, what, where that tobacco really came from. They kind of broadly know, well, it's derived from this or that, but they don't know what's been, done specifically generationally to this tobacco to get where it's at today. Some do, I'm sure, but many don't. And I, and I don't, I don't think they are able to even answer some of those questions that are going to be involved with, with that particular part of the standard. It's interesting that, uh, 
you know, it's it's exactly what you've talked about with that arsenic remediation. Uh, oh well. And the next thing I had on here it goes back to what you're talking about the sheen, the whatever's added for the sheen or the color. Mm-hmm. Um, a very large percentage of cigar factories do this. A very teeny tiny percentage of cigar factories will admit that they do this. They they <laughs> act like they would never do anything like that, but I have seen it in many factories. Uh, and I'm talking about betun, which is the what I call the secret sauce in the uh, in the in the cigar factories. It's used to make uniform color. Some people impart little bits of flavor. Even it's usually some concoction of rum and or wine and, and uh, tobacco tea that to get the color and mostly it is used for coloring. Sometimes it bleeds off on your lips when you're smoking a cigar or whatever, but by and large, many folks deny that they use it, but many folks do use it. Um, uh, you know, and they treat it and <laughs> you go into a factory, even the one that, that says they do this, don't want to share their, secret recipe for what goes in into their particular Bethune. Uh, I would just about bet anything that many of those folks are either not willing or not able to answer the follow-up question to that as an ingredient because when you add something like that that is not potable water or tobacco um, they're going to ask you more questions and these questions are telling the the maker, the person responsible for doing this, you need to tell us what the chemical reactions or other properties that are imbued into this cigar by you using that concoction. And I'm betting there's not very mean people on the planet know that answer. Um, Sort of somebody that would have some organic chemist that would have to sit down and work it out. I think that's something that has just evolved in the industry and, they just put it on there. They don't really know what's happening at a molecular level. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that's the case. I, I mean, it's what you're saying is the case. I know for a fact that some of the things that are in these components are, are oh, it's tobacco juice. Uh-huh. Whoa. WTF, and I'm not somebody who says WTF, but we'll put that out there. <laughs> um, red wine and rum are three really common ones. Yeah. Okay, what rum is it? What red wine is it? I mean, come on. What goes into red wine? Seriously. That's uh, that's going to be a freaking tough one. Yeah, and and again, I don't know how stringently this is going to be enforced. And yeah. frankly, I don't know if it's enforceable without doing something the way the USDA does with a food plant. They put USDA inspectors in the facility. The, I worked in the prison industry, prison system in the state of Florida, and we had a number of food industries. One in particular was a beef processing plant. That that facility was not allowed to fire up for the day if there were not two if two USDA inspectors there on on site on the floor while they were running they did, and, and are they going to do that with the FDA and fire up and send 
legions of FDA inspectors out to cigar factories all over the world, that, that'd be a pretty huge amount of governmental growth right there. I don't know if they're going to invest that or, you know, I don't know what enforcement looks like for this. I just don't know how they would manage it. I'll tell you, if that's what it turns into, I'm going to put an application into the FDA. <laughs> you, you would go to jail for being on the take in a cigar factory somewhere. Uh, uh, you know what? It would never be on paper because it would only be out of leaves. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. But the other thing, again, uh, I wonder how, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, how third-party cigar companies are going to meet this requirement, how they're going to handle it, because when Joe Dinkum goes and wants to have a cigar made by XYZ Cigar Factory, my experience has been many of them certainly don't know at this kind of level. They know I want this wrapper and maybe this binder and some of these fillers, and maybe they tinker with uh, you know half a dozen or a dozen different blends before they find one they like, and then they bring it to market, but they don't they certainly don't know on this level. This is going to have to work back and work back and work back to to somewhere way up the, the stream for who who actually would be able to answer these kind of questions. Mm. I mean, agronomists that are breeding and growing tobacco are pretty pretty far up the the supply chain from. You know, the typical boutique cigar company that has a guy living in the States full time just ordering cigars. Heck yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about that, my man. Yeah. Oh, and here I found the note. Small manufacturers who have less than $5 million per year of revenue, not, not profit, revenue, uh, have an additional six months to comply with these beyond the. Uh, the new date even. So we've got about a year to, for them to figure it out. But I think this is going to be a, a big mess <laughs> for some period of time. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Unfortunately. Yeah. But it's the card we're dealt, so let's figure it out. And I'm sure, sure we all will. Claro. Well, what what do you got to say about this here cigar that we be smoking tonight? You know what? I I have to say that this cigar has become a companion, and I have not been focusing on it. I uh, I feel like a little bit of a schmuck. <laughs> a schmuck. I'm gonna have to teach that word to our English kids. <laughs> <laughs> we, Boys and girls, <laughs> schmuck. schmuck. Um, oh, <laughs> I got a story to tell you. It's a complete diversion out of the cigar world, but it's funny. I love uh, it. Uh, I alternate uh, teaching the English class with the kids, and several weeks ago, there was a word they were they were reading, and one girl read it, and the word is tidies, like you know, Bob tidies the room or whatever, uh -huh. and she said titties. Oh boy! And she said, "Case significant titties." And case significant is what? What's it mean? Case significant titties, titties, titties. Case significant titties. <laughs> like seventeen times. That's like, stop. <laughs> Just stop for a minute. <laughs> and to explain oh, it, it's gonna come out my nose. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 
como tetas <laughs> in Espanol. <laughs> and they oh, and they all just laughed for 15 minutes and, and we had to go on, but it was, it was a fun moment. <laughs> How old are these kids? They're, they're teenagers. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> oh, jeez. What's funny is the the uh, Hartsfield. What's funny is the fact that <laughs> that your wife just walked by when you're saying that and shook oh, her head. She's heard this before. <laughs> no, I'm I'm giving you a hard time. Uh, I alternate with the Hartsfields, my our friends Nick and Connie, yeah. and they are from Mississippi and Alabama, and I'm from Tennessee. So we're teaching these kids, and we have. I don't have the strong accent I once did, but we still have some Southern accents. So these kids are going to speak English with a Southern accent and it cracks me up every time. <laughs> <laughs> Be this pocket of hillbillies in Santiago. <laughs> <Ay, ay, ay. laughs> Anywho, I'm sorry. that <laughs> I don't even know why that came up now. But, um, well, the caucus is being good to me. I, I, I'm digging it just as much as I ever have. Um, it's, it, it has come around a little bit in, in terms of that dryness. I don't have the same dryness. It's actually kind of savory now um, in the sense that it's it's almost the opposite of that. It's kind of making – it's mouth-watering. And I don't say that about a lot of cigars, but I do at times. And uh, does not have a great deal of sweetness uh, to me, but it has some of that – Tropical spice, as Dale would say, or baking spice, like you say, some of the non-peppery kind of spice that, that you kind of feel a little bit through the nose. No, no, no burning, no stinging, nothing like that. Just a little bit of a tingle in the nose. It's become much more friendly to the back of my throat. Um, I'm grooving on it. Uh, it. It is. I can see where you were going earlier with the citrus kind of thing. I may not quite get the lemon, but. Certainly a more sour orange. It's it's not a sweet juice orange, but it, it is kind of citrusy. I'm loving it. He's maybe I, on my list of my next steaks I'd visit. I have to uh, not amend what you're saying. I, I don't mean to imply that it's <laughs> um, that it's totally different from where I'm going with this, but I, I would say that I'm not getting a very savory component here, but that dryness that you're mentioning, it's, it is definitely gone away. I, I'm not very dry. I do have a slight, pardon me, uh, a slight crispness still. Um, but it's, it, it's more balanced. It's just solely on the finish. It's not necessarily while the smoke is in my mouth. I definitely still get a fruity flavor though, though it's not, because it's um because it's not uh tied let's say to that lemony flavor so much it's much more um i don't know it's much more almost like tropical fruit there's a there's a bit of like a spicy or a musky flavor musk like flavor so it's it's got a little bit of like that melon mango bit to it, if that makes sense. Like I would say that what I was saying earlier was the lemon or raspberry. Um, since the cigar has lost some of that sharpness or, or crispness, it's just tweaked that a little more, not nearly as chocolatey, 
not at all cocoa-y. Um, and uh, a, a good cigar. Different. This is definitely a different flavor that I'm getting in this second third. Um, now, our variations might be a little bit more because um, uh, because we have different Vitolas, too. So, oh, you are really quiet. You may want to try to plug yourself in a little bit. Can you hear me now? You're still very quiet, but I am definitely able to hear you. Give me just a minute. Oh, you just came back. Okay. I was tinkering with the broken plug. No problemo. I, I'm just waiting for that thing to uh, to go to 11 on us here. Yeah, either that or catch fire. <laughs> Good times. Hey. Either way, it's entertaining. Speaking of, of catching fire, you shared a completely unrelated story, so I will share one. Okay. Um, I, I have taken to, I'm sure most of our listeners know this now, I've taken to being in a, a slightly different profession this last year or so. Um, gotten out of the uh, efficient home building and gotten more into the efficiency consulting for home building. So uh, I do a lot of stuff. Um, I, I work with um, some infrared cameras when I'm doing energy audits or uh, trying to go in and problem solve for people. Um, and so some of my builders and customers know that the the IR gun that I run around with, um, it's a pretty useful tool. I can find a lot of things that essentially are just buried in walls. So I get a call last night from a builder and he says, hey, hey, I've got a gas pipe that is uh, a gas pipe um, shutoff for a log lighter at a fireplace that's buried in a wall and I stuccoed over it. Uh, you think you could come by with that infrared camera and see what you can find? I'm like, well, maybe. Uh, I'll come by. I'll take a look. So I go out there this morning, um, and I'm not really that confident because we have had a bit of a, a warm-up. We're in the 40s today, maybe even the 50s. Um, and infrared cameras work best when you've got a significant temperature difference. So uh, this is an exterior wall. I'm expecting that uh, maybe I can see the uh, the pipe, the gas pipe. Maybe not, but I'll go and I'll check it out. I get there. Well, it's in an outdoor unheated room, so there's no temperature variation between indoor and outdoor. I tell the guy, and I'm like, you know, sorry, I don't think that I'm going to be able to see anything. The wall just looks orange on the IR. Nothing I can do about it. He's like, all right, well, let me try a couple things. Why don't you give me a half an hour or so and come back? I come back a half an hour later. This guy is lying on his back with a butane torch heating up the gas pipe. <laughs> Danny, Danny, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm um, heating up the pipe so it gets warm in the wall and you can see it. <laughs> Danny, that's a gas pipe under pressure. Yeah, so I'm just warming it up. I'm not putting a flame to the gas. Ay, ay, ay. Stop that now. So, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm walking around a $3 million house and was about this close to having myself blown up from here to kick <laughs> up. It was an interesting morning. Good gracious. You know, back in uh, uh, 97, 96, 97, somewhere around there, I was at the time in the safety and environmental world and had to go 
to this grand poobah meeting and, and we had people there that were showcasing their products or whatever. And one of them was an infrared camera, which was early in the development of, of its uses for these kinds of things. And it was like 60 grand for, for this camera at that time. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, they used to not be so cheap. Now you can pick them up for pretty inexpensively. Yeah. Not even a thousand bucks. And you can get yourself one. Yeah. It's kind of like TVs. So. Yeah, no joke. <clears throat> well, we uh, we got some cigars that we've smoked since the last time we recorded. Yeah, you got a whole slew of them on here. I'm, yeah. I want to hear about them. Well, I will start with this first because I've got to talk about it. All right. So everybody knows, everybody that's that's been a part of this show knows that I love the HR, the Orochi Rabena uh, cigar that came out three, four years ago. Um, uh, what was that distributed by Kubanicon? Is that right? Um, it was, yeah, but it was made by their, um, uh, that partner company they were with the they ended up finding it out with. Yeah, the, the, understand. Um, well, I I believe you actually sent me after IPCPR. You sent me the different banded versions of the new I, HRs. I did. Those were the new production. I think there were a couple of the old production as well. Well, uh, I finally lit one of these up. Um, I had the blue label. I know nothing about this cigar. Have not even looked it up since. This was well. This is a front runner for the best cigar of the year. Come the end of 2017, it was that good. Wow! It was loaded. Two weeks into January, we're two weeks into January, and I guarantee you that two weeks from next January, this will still be near the top of my list. It was splendid just no complaints none whatsoever none the most jam-packed chocolate it tasted like i was smoking a chocolate bar it was awesome it was so good not a ton of sweetness but a great overwhelming chocolate flavor um a really lovely tobacco core that was perfectly balanced with that chocolate flavor great burn great burn it burned slowly um perfect amount of smoke it wasn't too much it wasn't too full body but it definitely had um some body to the smoke i i don't know man oh man i don't know what else i can say about it i want to find these and i want them to be inexpensive because i want more they are right around half the price of the original hr line I, I don't even know how that's possible because this was just as good, if not better. I believe I'm looking through some info here. It looks like they run. There's a Corona Gorda, a Petit Edmundo, a Toro, and a Gordo, and they run 8 to $10. Oh, this was, this was the large size. Um, although I'm guessing a Gordo is probably a 6 by 60 isn't it? Yes. Well, this was not a six by sixty. If I had to guess, I'd say that this was like a short Churchill, maybe a six by forty-eight or something. It was great. They they, they have one that's six by fifty. They call it Toro. Okay, maybe that's what this was. That one runs eight ninety-five. 
it is worth eight ninety five. Yeah, it's it's the the blue is the Maduro as an Ecuadorian Habano Maduro wrapper, and what they said at the show was they used different primings of the same tobaccos in the original HR blend uh, for the the filler and the binder, and then had a had this Habano Maduro wrapper. Mm. Well, it was it was perfect Habano flavors, or I'm sorry, Maduro flavors, just perfect. I I can't say enough about how good this cigar was. Everything I'd want a Maduro to be. Mm-hmm. I smoked one too. I don't know that uh, it maybe had the impact on me. It did you? But I thought it was fantastic. Oof, this was good. John Craig says the Atlantic Cigar sells the blue labels. So mm. there's at least one place you know that should have them in stock. Atlantic's a pretty big operation. I love those. I, I want more. I really want more. Yeah. Dig it. They, you also, I think, have their other new line that came out after the show, the uh, Claudio. I don't remember. Did they have a white band on it? Maybe I, I just found a, another one that had a white band today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe we can feature those at some point. Well, that would be mighty fun. I hope it's half as good as this one because if that's the case. I will be giddy with excitement. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to look. I don't know if I still have the white one or not. I may have smoked both of them by now. Well, why don't you go ahead and talk about your next one? Because you have four, and I only have two. No problem. My uh, my next one was wow. Hey, hey, come out. John says that uh, the uh, Corona Extra five and a half by forty six is only six dollars and thirty cents a piece. I, I, I don't know if he's still talking Atlantic or Famous, but one of those two has him. Just Holy as a side note. Uh, famous. He's saying Famous. Wow, that uh, that is a darn good price. I hope that cigar is as enjoyable. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's uh, that is worthwhile mention. Huh. Oh no, now he says Atlantic. I misunderstood what he meant. Well, still Toro for six sixty and the uh, uh, Corona Extra for six thirty. That's that is great. Awesome. I might uh, I might have to save some fun money and put it there. That those were good enough to do that. Well, my next cigar that I'm going to talk about as I said was another new one for me and um those of you who know Ian Winchester, 406 cigars, 406cigars.com um know that Ian has has just been a just a uh devoted follower of the Cattle Baron cigars for some time. Um, Ian's from Montana, if you didn't gather that from the 406 cigars moniker. Um, And uh, I think that initially his introduction to Cattle Baron probably occurred because um, they are from another Montanaite. I don't even know what that is. Uh, (laughs) The the brand owner... Montana, maybe. Uh, the brand owner for Cattle Baron is actually a rancher uh, out of Montana. So there was uh, a little bit of camaraderie there on, on Ian's part and intrigue. He sought them out, went to a, 
a show or excuse me, a, a shop for an event and gave him a try and fell in love with them. And now he sells them on 406cigars.com. Um, when, when we were together, when, uh, Ian and I were uh, meeting up, he gave me one of these and I lit it and I had no idea what in the world, why in the world I had missed those. Why is this cigar not more commonly discussed and known? Um, you know, with Stogie Geeks talking about the, uh, debonair, this cattle baron is made at the same factory as the debonair. And it's, I wouldn't say that it's a an incredibly similar cigar, but there's there's elements to it that I appreciate. There's elements to both of them that I appreciate. This Cattle Baron, the blend that I had, was unique in that it had no Lajero in it. It focused on flavor. It focused on aroma, on burn, um, <clears throat> and it it really succeeded at everything that it that it attempted to succeed. I don't know enough about these to know if all of the cattle barons are Sans Lajero or just the one that I had uh, that I was given, but it was um, it was terrific. It jumps right in line to those four, five, six cigars that I've talked about over the years that uh, are in my wheelhouse for an inexpensive every day. I could smoke them and always be happy. This is going to line up right behind the Cabo Guan Maduro um, or the the uh, Ramon Iones, um especially selected or uh, the Monte Cristo number ones. Man, just great cigar right in my wheelhouse of flavor. Not overpowering, great on the retro hail, sweet, savory, hard, soft, balanced, 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 and not too expensive. Loved this stick too. Man, and I had it on the same day as that HR Blue. That was a that was a good cigar day, man. A banner day. Have you had one of those? The Cattle Bear? Yeah. Yes, I have. I'm 100% on board with you. I dug the crap out of them. I actually, at the show this year, was just chatting with some dude, and he told me his name. It was Brian. Talked to him a little bit, and then it came up that turns out he – Ryan Moussard is the uh, the owner of Cattle Bear, and he's a super nice guy. And I was like, holy crap, I know all about you, and I've never met you in my life because of Ian. He's like, oh, yeah, Ian, he's a great kid. And it was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was an eye-opening experience because I thought it would be a, yeah, it was a fine cigar. No big deal. It was nice, and I uh, look forward to, and I was looking forward to smoking it, but this wasn't that this was absolutely something special. Um, I, uh, I got nothing but nice things to say about this stick and I am waiting to be able to have a little bit of dough to pick up a box for me. And great, really great. Cool. Well, let me jump on to one of mine here. I, uh, new year's, I guess it was new year's Eve. I smoked, uh, one of my last few remaining special Fuente cigars that I have stashed away from past CFC events. And that was the Opus 20th anniversary, uh, which was actually before the fancy, beautiful blue packaging that they now carry. Uh, Before they were launched, these were actually given out at the 2014 CFC, uh, which was the last one I, I attended, I guess. Um, 
And they told us nothing about it except they handed them out and said, the, this is the Opus 20th anniversary. Hmm. Nothing else, which is pretty typical. Um, it, it had, I believe, uh, it wasn't the regular Opus band. It was the black one. I don't think it was the Forbidden, but it could have been. And it had a secondary Hublot band, which is the uh, high-end watchmaker uh, that Fuente has partnered with on a couple of watches. But um, I smoked it. My friend Nick smoked it. My friend Slagle smoked it, who was down visiting at the time. And it seemed to be the general consensus was it was a very enjoyable cigar, but it wasn't uh, – and, and maybe there's some perception that this is going to be, you know, a, a giant killer. This is going to be an amazing cigar, but it it was very good. But it wasn't like something I need to go spend my last chunk of money on buying. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I, don't, yes, I, I, I was do. not disappointed in the least, but it, it it didn't stand head and shoulders above any other Opus. Uh, it may be a little bit little bit toned down it wasn't quite as brash maybe as opus can be when they're they're new and of course they had a couple of three years on it at, at the time but honestly I, I i'm not the biggest opus fan to start with but i don't think it was just or it was not to me to my taste was not orders of magnitude better than any other opus out there so was it decidedly opus ish it was very opus ish it was um, okay but having had a few extra years on it it was a little more sedate it was to me when an opus has two, two years to five years on it of extra time beyond the, the, the amount of time they hold it at the factory it gets a little bit of sweetness and some dark sweetness and it reminds me of oatmeal cakes these little oatmeal in the South, I don't know about up North. In the South, they have Little Debbie oatmeal cakes, and they're like cream-filled oatmeal cakes. And and that's what it reminds me of. It's kind of that huh. uh, sweet grain kind of flavor, and, and it had, had that in spades. And, again, it was very good. It's just not – it didn't knock my socks off, I suppose. Yeah. I get that 100%. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I uh, – I've had – fine opus um i don't love opus at all i think that i dislike them even a little bit more than well i shouldn't say dislike when i'm describing it this way i think that you probably like them a little more than i do um but that being said i think that uh when you get some of the offshoots of the opus line um the original lost cities i thought were just a 10. I thought they were spectacular. Um, the, all oh, the, uh, oh, what the angel share, angel envy, angel share, angel share. That I think is far superior to a typical opus to me. Um, but you know, when you and I had for, I believe it was our 100th show. Um, uh, we had those 12 year old opus double coronas. Yeah. That was, that was other level. I mean, that was some of the best opus, some of the best non-Cuban cigars that I've, that I've ever had. I mean, those were, those were good. Um, so I know that there's genius there. I just don't, I don't see it in the typical opus blend 
unless it's old as sin. You know, you, you get into some major age, then yeah, it, it opens up into something that's truly special. Um, but I, I also do know that, you know, and I know you know this too, and I'm, I'm hesitant to even say it because I'm fairly certain you would have already said it otherwise, but uh, Opus and what they release uh, at CFC and what they release in the real world, you know, there's a discussion that could be had about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know if, um, for example, Casacuba. Casacuba. Great point. Great point. I, I mean, you know, that's uh, that's probably the one that we've discussed the most on this show because that has been a cigar that we have had both samples of, uh, the original as well as the subsequent releases. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that, um, gosh, how, what do I what do I say here without crossing a line? Um, I... I I'll wear this all myself. I don't think that what you smoked is the same cigar that's being sold now. Plus, I don't think that what you smoked is probably even a derivative of what is being sold now. I think that what you smoked was a special cigar that they had sitting around that they thought they were going to send to the, give to the CFC people to celebrate the 20th release of the Opus, even though it wasn't the 20th release Opus, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, I, I, and I know that you heard someone say this is the uh, the cigar that's the 20th anniversary Opus cigar. So I, I don't doubt that you heard that. But Fuente is just so closed. They are not open with information at all that I just don't have any confidence that what you were told is 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 consistent. Let's put it that way. That sounds a little bit more positive. Yeah. I, I am the biggest Fuente fanboy you'll ever meet. I mean, you know, got the friggin' name inked on my arm for all eternity. But uh, the Opus is not where my tastes lie in their offerings. Uh, give me a Don Carlos number three or number four every day, and I I would not be happier. Sure. Yeah. I uh, couldn't blame you there. See? Or one of those oddball Hemingway-shaped things we had. Remember those? No. No, yeah, you do. You have a standing offer. You would trade anything in your hand. Oh, oh, yeah. The the Figurato, the Hemingway Classic or Signature Size. Yeah, and still have no clue what that cigar was. Oh, man. I don't know if you just made me happy because I remember such a fond memory. If you just made me sad because I realize I'll never repeat it. <laughs> Choose to be happy, Craig. <laughs> Speaking of happy, I'm uh, I'm going to jump to my last one here. Oh, yeah. Just before showtime, if you don't mind if I jump in here, just before showtime, I, uh, I was down early today. I knew I had some show prep. It had been a while since we were recording. Um, and so I decided to finish off a tin of, uh, pipe tobacco that I had, I had about half a disc, a little bit more than half a disc of, um, some, uh, Escudo Navy Deluxe. Uh, 
It comes in maybe an inch and a half diameter, 16th of an inch thick uh, wound rope of tobacco. I'll call it a rope. It's not truly. Yeah, it's, um, it's very close to a rope. I mean, it, it's, it's called spun cut. They spin it into something very similar to rope tobacco. Tobacco is pipe tobacco market. It is rope and then sliced into the discs. But yeah, that's as good a description as any. Well, I uh, I wanted to have something for 40 minutes before we recorded the show, so I figured half a bowl, three-quarters of a bowl would be perfect. Um, I've got a little paper cardboard box that I tend to break up my pipe tobacco in. Um, uh, break it up, dry it out a little bit, prep it for being put into the bowl, so I did that. And I had some remnants of some other tobacco in there that had been dried out. It had been two weeks since I had had my pipe um, and stuffed it in the bowl and uh, just got lucky. I, I have a tough time typically packing less than a full bowl at a time, knowing the consistency and pressure at which it should be um, uh, put in there. But this was like the heavens aligning, a light shined upon me. It was the perfect pack. Uh, it, it just, it smoked wonderfully. That tobacco was just worked enough, just dry enough. Um, the smoke was, was thick and, and explosive out of the, the, uh, um, that, what is it even called? The, the, the mouthpiece. What's the proper oh, term for that? Stem or bit? Stem. The stem. Thank you. Um, just explosive out of that stem. It was great. It was like smoking a cigar, the volume of smoke I was getting out of this. That never happened. But even more um, interestingly, or importantly, I guess, I didn't have to have the tempo um, that I normally keep while smoking a, a pipe in order to keep this lit. It just was perfect. I could take a puff, and set the pipe down, go grab a cigar from the humidor, come back, and then puff back on the pipe. I didn't have to be on it every 20 seconds like normal or 10 seconds with a short toke. Um, and it just goes to show how much a great pack improves the enjoyment of your tobacco. This, this Navy Deluxe, it's so rich with a buttery... Uh, dried dark fruit flavor. Oh, it's just it's just amazing. I I love this tobacco. It really really is a a good savory sweet uh, pipe tobacco mix for me. Did you um, do you happen to remember the date on the sticker on the bottom of that tin? I've got the tin here. So, uh, April oh four. That uh, tobacco was actually removed from the U.S. market in 2000. Oh. And not, it, it, there was no distributor in, in the U.S., so it wasn't available there anymore, but it was still produced and still sold around the rest of the world. And so from 2000 to 2006, it was not available stateside. So I was ordering from a company in Switzerland some oddball tobaccos, and that's where that would have come from, I guess, in that time frame. Well, that's... Uh, and by the way, it has changed blenders since that was made, so what you can get today may be a little different. So I won't taste anything like it. Uh, Tobacco never tastes the same. 12 or 13 years difference. <laughs> yeah, very true. 
Well, it was just great. I've never had such a pronounced buttery flavor from pipe tobacco before. Um, and it goes along with just the, the obvious raisiny date, like, um, uh, flavor that is just accompanied by the aroma of this tobacco. That really, is, really great stuff. That's a Virginia Perique um, tobacco. That's what the components are. Um, it's actually American tobacco, that Virginia that comes out of, I don't recall now, maybe the Carolinas, I think. And then Perique, most people that claim to use Perique these days don't. They use Kentucky Burley that's been processed as if it were Perique, but Escudo always claimed to use it, although for many years in the early 2000s, there was one farmer left in St. James Parish that grew Perique, and he sold his entire crop to American Spirit. So everybody who said they were using it were not for some number of years, but now the production's a little better. Yeah. Um, so who knows what, what where that what that really is, but the fact is it's, it's close enough. Um, but I really like it, and that raisiny, that that dark raisiny kind of flavor you're talking about is the Perique. And usually it's just two, three, maybe 5% Perique because it's very pungent. It's very strong. So there's not very much in a blend when it has it. Um, but it, it, it's presence is always felt. Um, back at that time, it's a little, another side shoot, but this one is tobacco related. Uh, the last remaining Perique farmer in St. James Parish, which is the only place on the planet that can grow this tobacco and market it as Perique. Um, his name was Percy Martin, and somebody somewhere got a hold of his address. And so I went and got a money order for 50 bucks and wrote him a letter and said, hey, here's a money order for 50 bucks. I'd really like to get some of your Perique. If you can't do it, take the 50 bucks and uh, enjoy. But if, if you can send me some, I'd love to have some. And he sent me three pounds of loose leaf perique. Oh, oh, gosh. And I played with that stuff. I sat at my kitchen table with a cutting board and knife and cutting it into little ribbons and, and tinkered with blends for years from that stuff. Oh, how did you store it? It came in these... They were sealed. They, I stopped short of saying vacuum sealed because they weren't pulled to a strong vacuum, but it came in these really, really thick, heavy uh, plastic container things. But I took it all out of that and put it into jars and just opened up what I needed when I needed it hmm. to play with. Oh, man. I... Uh... I don't know. I, I have dreams about that deep, stewy, dried fruit aroma off of uh, that tin of the Escudo. It's, yeah. it's something special. That is my favorite vapor, my favorite Virginia Perique blend. Um, Three Nuns was another that I also had to order from the European market because it wasn't available in the States, and it was really good. Mm. Um, there's been a few, but those two are, have been my favorite for the 20 or so years I've been smoking a pot. Yum, yum, yum. Anywho, I'll go ahead and jump on this last one of mine and then you can hit your last one. Let's do it. Um, I, uh, 
picked up just one each of the uh, Quesada keg. They put out a Dominican version and a Nicaraguan version with the Dominican made here by Quesada and the Nicaraguan. Oh, I want to say Placencia makes that, those for them. I'm, I wouldn't swear to it, but I'm pretty sure. And after smoking both of them, while smoking each of them, I would have said that's my favorite of the two, but I, I honestly don't know where I would shake out without going back and smoking more. I thought they were both really good. Um, the Nicaraguan was maybe just a hair stronger than I would have called perfect, but not overpowering or domineering at all. Um, both were very good, and both were uh, classic examples of what we would call this is what I think of when I smoke a, or think of a Dominican cigar, and this is what I would think of as a Nicaraguan cigar. Just straightforward, like companion cigars, like what you just called, just cigars you smoke and enjoy without really just overthinking them. I, yeah, I like both yeah. of them. They, they were both enjoyable for me. Hmm. And you wouldn't pick a favorite? Like I said, at the time, I would have picked either of them while smoking them. But looking back, I think I would have to go back and smoke another of each before I even made a guess. Oh, you weenie. That's <laughs> kind of what I do. <laughs> if, uh, I, if I say something like that, then I have to go try another of each. Don't, don't you understand how this works? <laughs> All right. So when you say it was typically what you'd expect of a Dominican and typically what you'd expect of a Nicaraguan. I, I'm going to, I'm going to push you on that a little bit because we have okay. talked about, um, we have talked about old school versus new school Nicaraguan flavors. And we have also less uh, outwardly discussed older Dominican cigars or the way that things used to be in the Dominican Republic as compared to now. And now is not so much a literal now in terms of that uh, Criollo 98 leaf that you've talked so much of recently, but um, more in the fact that older Dominican cigars, older Dominican style was that it wasn't so much blended to be incredibly flavorful, but perhaps um, grassy, mild, and not um, going to make an enemy. Uh -huh. uh, do, do you mean more, when you say Dominican, kind of the newer um, sweet baking spice, approachable, loaded with flavor um, and some strength, but not nearly the strength level of the of what we would think of as a Nicaraguan cigar? I do. There, there was more sweetness in it than it, certainly not the grassiness from the cigar boom that was so terrible that what I found in Dominican cigars 20 years ago. Um, definitely sweeter, but bucking the current trend. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of these uh, newer companies that we've talked about in the past 12 months that are popping up here in the DR tend to be blending much stronger cigars. And, and when I say stronger, I don't mean bolder yeah. in flavor. I mean a lot of strength for what I think of as a Dominican cigar. And this one did not have that. It, it wasn't uh, – and when I say a lot of strength, it's not brash. It's not the peppery, 
kick you in the throat kind of thing that you can get from some of the more bold Nicaraguan cigars. But it's the kind of cigar you sit and you smoke it, and maybe it sneaks up on you because you don't feel like it's a strong cigar until suddenly, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little dizzy. I'm going to have to put this thing down. Um, it did not, not at all in any way have that effect. It, it was um, on the lighter end of medium. Did have a lot of sweetness, uh, almost a brown sugary caramel kind of flavor to it. Um, I liked it, and just the opposite with the Nicaraguan. It was more like the the past ten years of Nicaraguan cigars, where there was a, a good dose of peppery spice, although it was not a the my father number one. Love that cigar, but on occasion I'll get one that just tears me up, and, and it's just so. So brash is what I call them. So so coarse almost. And I love the cigar, but but they tend to do that at times to me anyway. And this one had those characteristics, but to a lesser degree. It, it was um, a little bit rough around the edges. It had a good dose of peppery spice. Um, and when I say a good dose, I mean a heavy dose without being a, a killer. Um, that more uh, gritty kind of oak and charred wood kind of flavor to it. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. All right. That's uh, that's a good description. Yeah. It's going to have to suffice. It's all I got. <laughs> no, it, it brought it across. I like it. And your last one, the oil anejado. Is that anejado yeah. or anejado? Uh, Añejado. There's a, I believe uh, there's a yeah, yeah. there. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't have one of those bands. I thought I did. Um, all right. So I have talked about this Oyo Añejado uh, a number of times. I, uh, I had a box of those that somehow made its way to me. Um, and I think that I think that these are a cigar that I am always going to struggle with. So I have, it, I've had this cigar. This is available locally. Okay. I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts on this because I posted something about this cigar on the website on halfash.com in our um, forum, but I didn't name the cigar. I, I'm curious. Oh, I know what post you're talking about. I'm perplexed by this cigar because I opened the box, adored the first couple that I had, thought they were very distinctly Oye de Monterey. Um, I thought that they were softer. They weren't as um, <clears throat> filled with kind of the sweet woody flavors that you get from some of the La Hoyos, um, the La Hoyo lines. There's some other elements to them that I really enjoyed. Then as I've smoked more of them, as this box has been open, I'm noticing I'm losing some of that individuality. And what's really standing, standing up is, is kind of a, well, a, a really complex, really well-rounded citrus sweetness. Um, and it's good there. It's a great cigar. It's not something that's boring or something I don't enjoy. It's just, I, want the the oil profile 
um, that I got from the first couple after the box had been open a week. So my question is, am I seeing such a major transition in blend in the two and a half months the box has been open? Am I seeing, because I have, you know, like most Americans, I have eaten a lot of things in the last month that aren't my typical fare. Um, Am I seeing maybe an impact of what I'm doing uh, that's kind of changing my mouth chemistry? And so these cigars are perhaps, um, you know, not necessarily uh, getting uh, the best um, opportunity when I smoke them that they otherwise would or is something else going on? Are, are these cigars perhaps just really, really fragile? Um, the deal with the Anejados is that they were cigars that were set aside years back um, by Abanos. They were made boxed um, and stored in a bonded warehouse and then just released and sold and uh, sent to distributors recently. So could it be that these cigars, having been five years in a, a Cuban warehouse that maybe didn't have the best um, climate control, they just are a little, they've seized, you know? They've just kind of started releasing what they are because they were, they, they were exposed in hot, humid temperatures, and so they are a little overmature. What what am I running into here? I, I've never I've never really experienced such a drastic change in such a short period. Hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a weird thing to describe, but I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I don't either. But I, I at this point I am uh I am smoking more of these because I'm so intrigued by them. I want to know why it is what it is. So <clears throat> if that makes sense, I uh, I welcome all of your opinions. Cool. I'll let you know when I smoke one. <laughs> there you go. Good. <laughs> Well, that is uh, that is my last stick that I've got. Yeah, we want to wrap up with the caucus. Yes, let's do it. So, um, I was going to say, so I will let you have the uh, uh, the first word here, and you can you can kind of point us in the right direction. Well, I'm, I'm still rather enjoying the cigar quite a bit, and I'm down now. Got probably an inch and a half of un, uh, uncombusted cigar left. And it, this one has gotten much more flavorful in this last third with, with a lot of, uh, um, I don't know that I quite go woodsy flavors, but leather kind of flavors that, that subdued old leather kind of thing, not the tannic fiasco that's freshly tanned leather, but the the baseball glove leather, the 30-year-old baseball glove. And I got a lot of that. The citrus has kind of faded. It actually got sweeter before this current leather apparition is coming through. Um, almost a berry-like sweetness for just a few minutes, but that was pretty fleeting. It's, it's gone. 
Um, but still digging it. I, I love the cigar as much as I loved any of the others a couple of years ago when I smoked them. Hmm. I, I would say that this cigar <clears throat> is coming into um, the realm that you discussed earlier, where it's slightly savory. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting that with it, and it's it's totally unexpected because, I don't know, an inch ago, there was none of this in the cigar. And all of a sudden, the last 10 puffs or so, 12 puffs, it is becoming something that that is just so foreign to what the cigar was earlier. And I dig that because this is a very good flavor. It's a very good transition as well. But um, I don't know. It's just one of those things that when a cigar surprises you, it's it makes it a little bit sweeter. Um, you enjoy it a little bit more. I liked the first third of this. It was uh, a, a good mix of some of the citrus and some of the, the cocoa um, and some of the crispness. In the second third, it, it kind of waned a little bit in, in my enjoyment, and then it's picking back up with this this excitement and really having taken a, a, a turn from what I had expected. I I dig it, um, and quite frankly, I, I think that uh, uh, if this cigar, you know, rode this same uh, rode this same track every time that I smoked it from here on out, I would I would enjoy it and continue to smoke them. It's a good one. Yeah, it is. And that, you know, I, I just want to say, I, I don't know if I'd have really classified this as being uh, savory, but I think that you you kind of, I don't know, I, I think that you're right in saying savory there, and then you kind of uh, had that that collective review experience that you shared where I said, Oh yeah, you know, I can, it, when I look at it from that angle, that makes a lot of sense. Um, huh. It's two weird. Heads are, I don't know. Two heads are not better than one because they think the same thought twice as hard. Yeah, you're damn right about that. Hmm. I don't know. I, I'm, I can't pinpoint what that savoriness is. It it just it just is. It just is. It's very strange. I I don't get it. <laughs> but I like not, it. Something's not for me to it. not for me to question why just to smoke this cigar. Yep. Well, I'll uh I will I will uh, enjoy the rest of this, I believe. Cool. Well, I will start wrapping us up, if that's okay. Let's do it. It is 10 to 1 here, and it's about that time. I think if uh, you can catch up with Michael Stewart in the next couple of weeks, we can do a Southern draw. Uh, I sent a number of samples back with him that Robert Holt sent us, and he sent to Slagle's house, and Slagle brought all of them down, and half of them belong to you, so I sent those back with Mike. Um, so if we can, if you guys can make that happen, we can do a Southern draw. And if not, we'll just pull up whatever's next on the list. Um, cool. But in the meantime, I may check in with Robert and see if maybe he could join us that night as well. Uh, when we're smoking his cigar. <laughs> maybe give him some grief. I don't know. We'll see. So 
Join us next time for 159 when we're smoking something, possibly a Southern draw. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always get us uh, by email to Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. And uh, of course, you can always find us in the forum. Uh, most days we check in, even though we give Craig crap when he misses a couple days. <laughs> And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much anywhere you're looking, we're there. We You, you can't get away from us. So uh, drop us a line. Let us know what's going on. Ask us a question that we probably can't answer but can give you an embarrassing response. <laughs> Man, Kip is, uh, Kip is feeling like an individual today. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Well, I don't know. I don't know where half the things you just said came from. We will absolutely give you an answer, folks, and it won't be embarrassing to you at all, no matter what he says. I have, no, I mean, for us, because we may not oh, have an answer, but we always have an opinion. I thought you were, like, meaning, yeah, we'll give you an answer, and it's going to be embarrassing, so give it to us if you dare. No, <laughs> not at all. And I got, like, 1,300 posts on our forum, for Pete's sake. Ay, ay, ay. I'm there. I'm there. Well, and as uh, as I so often do, I, I have the pleasure of closing out an episode of Half-Ashed with uh, some personal thoughts. And Tonight is no different. Um, it is January 20th, 2017. And I want to make sure that, <clears throat> that I uh, send this episode out to the person that I think made uh, hopefully a whole lot of whole lot of good um, happen in this world. It wasn't necessarily just today, but it's been over the last uh, uh, last bit of time here. Um, and it just happens to be that gentleman who brought all those water filters down, who has communicated to you about some other things, who has uh, been very generous with his time and his funds and his commitments. And uh, so to you, that man who shall remain nameless for this evening at least... This episode of Half-Ashed, it goes out to you and you alone. So thank you. Now, to all of our listeners, as I always do and as I will continue to do, I want you to know that I sincerely thank you. And I say good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. 